Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is a message brought to our church by a guest speaker. We hope that it is a blessing to you, and we would love to hear how God has used it in your life. Why don't you take your Bibles? Why don't you go to Mark chapter number 9? Mark chapter number 9. I want to bring a message entitled, Dealing with Doubt. Dealing with doubt. How many in here have ever dealt with doubt? Oh, okay, because a lot of times we're like, are we allowed to even say that in church? We're supposed to be people of faith, right? And we're supposed to never doubt, and that's what we're supposed to do. But in reality, that's not what we find in the Word of God. And I want to begin with a story, an account in Jesus' life in Mark chapter number 9. And I'm going to pick up in verse number 17, and I'm going to, in verse number 14, sorry, I'm going to read down through verse number 24. So let's find ourselves tonight in Mark chapter number 9, beginning in verse number 14. The Bible tells us there, And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he, said, and he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. Not that the spirit was not smart, but obviously it was causing him some speech issues, things like that. Verse 18. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. Now this is the story of the disciples trying to cast out this demon. And later on, we're going to learn that Jesus tells them, well, this, this kind of spirit only goes out by prayer and what? Anybody remember the story? prayer and fasting, right? But that's not the point I want to bring out of the, of the context tonight. Let's keep reading in verse number 19. He answereth him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, uh, of a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Let's stop there. Did this man believe that Jesus could help his son? Yes. yes. He, he said, I, I believe you can help me. I believe since he's going through all this, I believe you're the one that can rescue him from this. So there was certainly some faith there. Verse 21, Jesus saith unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. How many believe that all things are possible to them that trust Jesus Christ? Amen. Amen. Jesus just told us that, right? But then I love the answer of the Father. And straightway, right away, the father said of the uh, um, the father of the child cried out and said, with tears, "Lord, I believe. I believe. Help thou my unbelief." In that same heart, in that same moment, was both belief and doubt. Lord, I believe, but I need you to help my unbelief. 
And tonight, I want to bring a message, dealing with doubt. Father, bless the reading of your word. I just pray that it would help us in those moments when we have um, those dark nights of the soul, uh, when we're challenged with doubting. And I pray that um, for this church family here in Moses Lake, this would be a help um, to them as a church family to operate in faith, as individual believers, that they might operate in faith as well. Uh, Lord, just bless this time. Give me unction. Give me clarity of thought and speech. And I ask this in your great son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I believe this tonight. I believe that God has a great journey for each and every one of us. I believe that uh, as a Christian, we are on, uh, some would call it this faith journey, that we are each day waking up and step by step, day by day, we are following the Lord. In fact, the Bible tells us the just shall live by what church? Faith. faith. Yeah, the just shall live by faith. But on this faith journey, there are many challenges that come our way. And I want to deal with an area that I think in a lot of churches isn't really dealt with, and that's this realm of doubt. Yes, we recognize God wants to use us. God wants to work in us. And not only does he want to work in us, but he also wants to work through us. But as God has that process going on, if we're being candid, there are times that we struggle to figure out what God's doing and in that struggle to figure out what God is doing, we begin to doubt. Now, if you meet a Christian that is so self-assured that they know exactly how God is working and exactly what God is doing, let me give you some advice. Don't believe a word they're saying. Because frankly, we are finite as individuals. We do not see the full picture, amen? But God is infinite. He sees the beginning. He sees the end. He sees all of that. And so we doubt. Now, for many of you, the doubts come in, in different ways. Maybe in your life, God is leading you a certain direction. And as God is leading you this certain direction, you're struggling with, okay, why God? Why are you leading me this direction? Why is that? It seems everything is going okay, but yet you're leading me this direction. A some, you might even doubt God's provision. There's some probably tonight you're struggling to make ends meet. You're just simply trying to pay the bills and make it through. Um, what, what's our date? The 18th today? And you're like, when is the first of the month coming, right? And you're just simply trying to make it. And, and some even tonight, you're doubting God's provision. Are we going to make that? Uh, some even doubt God's purposes. You'd say, well, wait, wait. I've been told that if I honor God, if I love God, if I love other people, then God is going to take care of me. God's going to see me through. But, but then why is this happening? Why is this happening? How come my kids aren't turning out? How come my marriage isn't what it should be? How come this? How come that? And we begin to have those doubts. Frankly, sometimes we doubt God's goodness. Now, we would all acknowledge tonight, especially a Sunday night crowd, how many believe God is good? Amen. Amen. Yeah. But how many question God about what he's doing? And when we question God, we're basically saying, without saying it, yeah, God, I don't think you're good. I think you can do, do things a little better here. And so we, we deal with this doubt. How many have ever heard this phrase, don't doubt in the night what God has shown you in the light? Have you ever heard that phrase before? And yes, that is true, but doubts are still going to come. 
They are. And what I want to do tonight, um, by way of this story, we see he says, Lord, I believe, help thou my what? My unbelief. He was struggling with doubt even while there was belief there. I want us to look at why we doubt. I want us to kind of journey through Scripture and see some pretty solid people that doubted as well. And then we're on the backside of this, we're going to give a four-part game plan of dealing with doubt. So if you're ready to get into this tonight, say amen. amen. Okay, here we go. Number one, why do we doubt? Why do we doubt? Well, I think the answer to that is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 7. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 7. Why do we doubt? I want us to get there because I want us to, to read this together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 7. All right, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Let's, you should be in, I, it should be in parentheses there, right? But verse number 7 says, let's read that aloud together. Here we go. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Why do we doubt? Because we walk by what? And not by what? Sight. That is simply why we doubt. You see, when we can see, when we can touch, when we can smell something, faith is not required. When I can see something tangibly, when, for example, even in tithing or giving, we're not giving in faith until we're looking at the, how many still, how many still use checkbooks in here? How many online givers do we have? How many online people do we have? Oh, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm online person now. But you work through your checkbook and you're like, oh yeah, we can, we can go ahead and make this work. That really isn't giving in faith at that point. You can kind of see it work. So when it comes to something we can see, touch, smell, faith is not required. But when we're called or asked to do something that is not tangible in those moments, we must operate in faith. Now, how many would agree this is not always an easy thing to do? idea of operating in faith. Uh, frankly, it's not a matter of if we're going to struggle with doubt in those moments, but it's a matter of how much and when we are going to struggle with doubt. So a little secret. All Christians, all Christians, even people that look confident outwardly, struggle with doubt. doesn't matter who you are. All Christians, even though people look confidently on the outside, all of us struggle with doubt. In fact, the Bible is full of godly people, men and women alike, that struggled with doubt. So I want us to begin to learn where this doubt comes from. And we begin to learn where this doubt comes from all the way back in Genesis chapter number three. So go to Genesis chapter number three, and we're going to learn that there are doubters in paradise. There are doubters in paradise all the way back in Genesis chapter three. The genesis of all doubt is found in Genesis chapter three in verse number one. So back in the Old Testament there, Genesis chapter three in verse number one. The Bible tells us there, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? 
He is in that moment seeking to cause doubt in the mind of Adam and Eve. In verse number two, And the woman said unto the serpent, Well, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, notice the words, Ye shall not, what? He says, Oh, no, you don't. And he's causing them to doubt. He's planting seeds of doubt in their mind. This Genesis there. In verse number five, skip down to there. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So in that moment, as Satan fed them that lie, they began to what? Doubt. Well, maybe God is holding out on us. Well, Maybe, maybe God isn't giving us all we should be. And, uh, well, maybe God is shortchanging us. And so they began, as Satan was giving them the seeds of doubt, they begin to kind of soak that in. And in turn, we know what happens there. They began to doubt. Basically, Satan said, you know what? God is not good. He's holding back on you. In that moment in the Garden of Eden, they began to doubt the goodness of God. And since that day in Genesis chapter number three, all of us, every human being that has graced this planet, we have struggled with doubt. We have, certainly. Go to Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. We are working through actually the book of Hebrews on Sunday nights at Bible Baptist Church. And uh, Hebrews, we're in Hebrews 11 right now, actually. And Hebrews 11 is called, we kind of affectionately call it, the hall of what? The hall of faith, right? We see these men and women who operated in faith. But let's not glass it over. These men and women that operated in faith were also men and women that doubted severely at times, right? Yes, they operated in faith, but these were individuals that doubted severely. As we go to Hebrews chapter 11, I want to draw your attention to uh, verse, number, uh, verse number 17. Verse number 17 there. It says about Abraham, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So let's stop right there. He brings to recollection, the author does, what happened in Genesis chapter number 22. You remember what happened in Genesis chapter 22? Abraham took Isaac up on top of the mountain. He had the, the, he had the dagger raised, and all of a sudden God stopped his hand, and that's where we learned the Bible term Jehovah Jireh, God will provide, and he, he provided himself a ram in the thicket. I think we'd all agree, for Abraham to go up in the mountain and be willing to kill his son, how many would agree that is a man of faith? Yeah, I think all of us would agree with that. In fact, uh, Paul in Romans says this about Abraham in chapter number four. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. So even Paul in Romans says, yeah, Abraham, total man of faith, and that is how he became righteous. So we learned that Abraham was a man of faith, definitely. The father of faith, some would call Father Abraham. This might be a good time to sing Father Abraham. Okay, maybe not. All right. But Abraham, that same man, also had doubts. In Genesis chapter 12, in Genesis chapter number 20, 
he doubted God's protection about his wife. You remember that whole thing? And as they went into the land, he said, okay, uh, Sarah, don't tell them you're my wife. Tell them you are my sister. And in that moment, he doubted God's protection. And this man of faith was struggling with doubt. And he's like, okay, we need to kind of self-protect here. And so Sarah, just tell them you're my sister, which was that a lie technically? Yes and no, right? She was technically his half-sister. If you kind of do the genealogy, we know and we understand that. But the point is, in that moment, he had his doubt about God's protection. And of course, the big issue of doubt in the life of Abraham and Sarah is how we got the whole Islamic religion nowadays, right? In which we know that God promised Abraham and Sarah that they were going to have kids and their seed was going to be as numberless as the stars in the heaven and the, and the sand on the sea. And he just promised that. But what happened with Abraham and Sarah? You remember what Sarah did, right? And she heard that she was going to have a child in her old age. What'd she do? She, oh, that's a good one, yeah. Not gonna happen is what she thought. Abraham laughed too. They both in that moment doubted God. But then they kind of came around like, well, I guess maybe we are gonna, but it's not happening. And so they doubted God's timing. And so all of a sudden, Sarah's like, hey, all right. I, I'm not sure what's gonna happen. I don't know how God's working. I don't even know if God's working. He, maybe, maybe he forgot. He gets busy. So why don't you take my handmaid, Hagar, and why don't, you, why don't you lay with her, and we'll have children through Hagar. And we know how that went, right? Talk about a train wreck of a family relationship. But it all began with doubting God. And this is where doubt can come in and make its fruition. So Abraham and Sarah, boy, they laughed at God's promises and he doubted that he would receive the inheritance and he demanded that uh, God would give him that son. God said no, so he takes Hagar and we know the implications of that. Now, a couple application points under this with Abraham and Sarah. Number one, we will not always understand but we can always choose to trust God. Did Abraham and Sarah understand what God exactly was doing? Help me out, church. No, they didn't. But in that moment, can they choose to trust God? Yes. And in our lives, there's times we don't know exactly what God is doing, but in that moment, can we trust God? Yes. Absolutely. Number two, don't doubt. Don't doubt what God is doing in your life. Just because the story God is writing in your life doesn't match what you think your story should be, don't doubt God. I think that's what happened with Abraham and Sarah. God is writing their story. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. But then all of a sudden, it's not quite the story that they had in mind. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. what's going on? This is not what we planned. This was not what we expected. So when God kind of rewrites your story, don't doubt him. Just trust him. Another individual in Hebrews chapter 11 is my, my man. I, I love the life of Moses, and I love learning from him. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse number 24. Look at it there. Um, it says there about Moses, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the afflictions uh, with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith, 
He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Was Moses, by our text we just read, was Moses a man of faith? Yes. yes. I mean, you can't read that and walk away saying, no, I don't know if Moses was a man of faith. But if we go back to the Old Testament, we see Moses as a man of doubt again and again and again and again. I'm just going to catalog him for you, and we got the time. So let's go to Exodus chapter number 3. Let's go to Exodus chapter number 3. If you're still with me tonight, say amen. amen. All right, Exodus chapter number 3. Exodus chapter 3. God appeared these five times. He appeared personally to Moses, yet five times, five times Moses doubted God's ability to use him to deliver the nation of Israel out of Egypt. You remember the whole burning bush thing and God coming to Moses to bring him out. But God had to come to Moses five different times. And each time God came to him, Moses was like, well, what about this, God? And we're going to see it. Um, Exodus chapter 3, verse number 11. And Moses said unto the Lord, here's what he says. He's doubting. Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? He's doubting God. God says, hey, Moses, I want you to go. Moses is like, whoa, whoa, God, I think you got the wrong guy. Uh, I, I can't be the guy because uh, I'm, I'm not him. And in that, he began to doubt God. You go to chapter 4, Exodus chapter 4, in verse number 1. As God was talking to him again, Moses answered and said, but behold, they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Was Moses doubting in that moment as well? Yeah, he's, he's doubting the Lord again. Well, Lord, I just, I just don't think they're going to believe me. I, and he's doubting, once again, God's provision. Then you go to chapter number 5 and verse number 22. Go to chapter 5 and verse number 22. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? I mean, he gets more and more direct here. God, why are you sending me? I, I don't understand. And he's doubting God in all of this. Exodus chapter 6, in verse number 12, it says this in Exodus 6, 12. And Moses spake before the Lord, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, who am of uncircumcised lips? Once again, he's like, okay, the children of Israel, God, they're not even listening to me. How in the world do you think Pharaoh is going to listen to me? And all of this while, he's doubting. Rather than simply being like, okay, I don't know how God's going to do this. I'm not sure why he's using me, but God, you got this. I'm going to trust you. He's always bringing up all of these reasons why God can't use him. I'm going to stop here before I read the rest. Too many believers do the same thing. They give God all kinds of reasons why they are not the person, they are not the individual. Well, I can't, I can't sing in choir. I can't serve in this ministry. I can't help there. I can't serve at the fair. I can't do this. And they're giving these excuses to God. And really, it, it's, it's doubt in their mind that God can actually use them to do something. I believe this. With God, all things are possible. Do we believe that tonight? If we don't believe that, we might as well just shut the doors and go home. But I believe, and I know you believe, with God, all things are possible. So he was doubting. Even in chapter number 6 and verse number 30, we see it uh, this last time. And Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? He says it again. I don't know 
how you're going to do this. Okay, this is where I think the story gets really good. You know how God answers all of these doubts of Moses? He said, God, I, I can't go to Pharaoh. The children of Israel listen to me. I, I stutter. I, I'm not sure. I, I, God, I, I just don't know. You know how God answers him? It's going to sound weird. But he answers him this way. Moses, I am that I am. Now, when we fully understand what God says, when he says, I am that I am, it was a very clear statement to Moses, almost like he's, he's grabbing Moses by the ear and saying, hey, Moses, I got this. You don't. You need to trust me. The idea of I am that I am means that God is greater than any other God, that God is greater than anything in this world. Um, we would call it in theological terms, our God is transcendent. Uh, the idea of the transcendence of God is this. You and I, we work in the realm of nature, right? I mean, the law of gravity, physics, you know, thermodynamics, all that kind of stuff, right? We, we work and we have to be in this. But transcendence means, and I love the doctrine of transcendence, it means that God is not bound by any of those things. That God works outside all of the realm of nature. We don't believe that our God is natural. We believe that our God is supernatural. That's the idea of transcendence. He works outside of nature. And so in this, as Moses had doubts, what God did is he came alongside Moses and he simply just reminded Moses, wait a minute, you got to remember who you're working for. You are working for the I am that I am. And he says to Moses in that moment, I work outside of all of your doubts, all of the reasons why you can't do that. He says, with me, all things are possible. I hope we believe that tonight as believers. But yet we do. We have those doubts. We have pretty serious doubts at times. We're being honest. Is Jesus really the one? Is Jesus really, is he really the savior of the world? There was somebody that had that same doubt. And Jesus says this about him. There is not a greater man born among women. I'd like to have that on my tombstone, right? <laughs> There's not a greater man born among women. Not going to happen, but you know. Anybody know who that individual is? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. But John the Baptist had doubts. I want you to go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse number 29. Uh, man, I like John the Baptist. He was a rough and tumble guy. I mean, locusts, honey, uh, camel skin. I mean, he's, he's a man's man, isn't he? Yeah, I, I'm not that tough, I guess, but yeah. But John chapter 1, verse number 29. I want you to see this. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith unto them, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which, what church? takes away the sin of the world. I mean, John makes this declarative statement. Talk about a faith statement. Behold, the Lamb of God. 
that takes away the sin of the world. He does this publicly. I mean, out in front of, open in front of everybody. It's an amazing thing. But now I want you to go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse number three. Now, this is later on after he makes this declarative statement that John records in John chapter number one. I want you to see this in Matthew chapter 11. This is where John begins to doubt. Matthew chapter 11, verse number three. Notice the words of John to Jesus. And said he unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we what? Is that doubt right there? Yes. Absolutely. Uh, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Then later on, it's like, oh, uh, uh, excuse me, Jesus. Um, are, are, are you he? <laughs> or are we looking for somebody else here? John the Baptist, it's recorded by him, there is not a greater man born among women. This man had his doubts. So I'm going to put it this way. I don't think that doubting necessarily is the sin. It's what we do when we doubt that leads to our sin. And in this we see Abraham, we see Moses, we see Sarah, we see Adam and Eve, and now we see John the Baptist. He says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But he says, are, are you he or do we look for another? You're in Matthew 11, verse number 3. After he doubts, in verse 11 of Matthew 11, this is where Jesus records this statement about John. He says, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Did Jesus say this before he doubted or after he doubted? After he doubted. Yeah. To me, that is the loving kindness of our Savior. That even the moments when we struggle with doubt and God recognizes that we walk by faith and not by sight, so we are going to have those doubts, even then he still records things about people that doubt like John the Baptist. There's not a greater man born among women. So here's a key point underneath this. Faith doesn't mean that you don't have question. Rather, faith strives to obey in spite of the questions. Because we have questions, right? I know I do. I got lots of questions. Um, I don't know the answers to. There's things that I, I doubt, and, but I recognize, no, it, it's, it's not about focusing on those things I doubt. It's about focusing on my obedience. And even though I have questions about things, I need to make sure that I am being faithful to God. Um, I, I'm trying to gauge the average age here. How many have ever read the book years ago or heard of the book years ago, written by a Christian young man, and the book was entitled, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And have you ever heard of that? Oh, good, several of you have heard that. And basically, the whole book was about this whole dating thing, not sure necessarily in Scripture, and here's some principles on how you should meet an individual and just all that kind of stuff. And it's written by a man named Josh Harris. Um, he went on to write several other books. He went on to pastor and such. And I think it was last week or week before, he came out on Instagram and he says this, yeah, basically everything I know to define what a Christian is, I no longer believe any of that. And basically he's making this declarative statement 
that he is walking away from the faith. Now, I believe the doubt at that point has turned to sin. But what we must do is, yes, we are going to have these doubts. We are going to have these questions. But we must anchor our hearts in faith to trusting God and just simply following him even when we have those questions. When it comes to um, faith, maybe I should put it this way. When it comes to the certainty of our faith, how certain we are about something, I, I, I don't think it's always constant. What I mean by that is, I think that there's more dynamics to it. There's kind of, it's not like, yeah, I, I always believe, have always believed, and my faith has always been here, and it's never deviated off of that. I, I, I don't find that to be true, because as I look at the scriptures, it's not true. When I look at Moses and Abraham and John the Baptist, I, I see men that, that had kind of some ups and downs in there. Some a little higher, some a little lower, but they had those ups and downs. So certainty in our faith isn't always constant. Everyone questions truths, frankly, that we were once assured of. But it's what we do when we have those questions that we anchor our heart to the Word of God and allow the Spirit of God to bring instruction to us that is going to bring us through that. So, bottom line, we have doubts. If Abraham had them, John had them, Sarah had them, Moses had them, I think we're going to have them. Is that fair? Yeah. Well, great. What do we do? I, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you a fourfold plan to deal with that doubt. I encourage you, if you take notes, write these down, please. What do we do when we deal with these doubts that come, that battle plan for the doubts that arise? Number one, number one, call upon God. That is the first thing I think we need to do, pray, we can simply say it there, but when we have this doubt, I believe the first thing we need to do is we need to call on God. You see, when we begin to have doubt, we begin to have um, what some pastors have termed God amnesia. We kind of forget how good God is. We kind of forget how powerful he is. We forget that he's got the plan. He's got the purpose. He is the I am that I am. And we're kind of forgetting those things. And we begin to doubt. Is that, is that a fair thing? And so what we need to do in that moment is we need to call upon God. And we need to cry out to him and say, Lord, I, I am doubting this. But I know you are true. I know you are faithful. I know you are a God that provides. I know you are a God that is good. And we remind ourselves in that moment of doubt. And I believe the first thing we need to do when we're experiencing that God amnesia of doubt is we need to go to that direct source and we need to call upon God. And I love what happens in that prayer time. God kind of shakes us out of that, of that doubt and he secures our faith and strengthens us up. So number one, we need to call upon who, church? God. Call upon God. Good. Number two, number two. Number two, we need to claim his promises. Claim the promises of God. Greater is he that is in you. That's a promise of God, isn't it? Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. The Bible talks about in Hebrews chapter 10 that he will not put you through more than you are able to bear. He will make a way of what? Escape. That you may be able to bear it. These are all promises of God. So as we are dealing with doubt, we cry unto him, but then we claim his promises. My life verses, um, probably a lot of people's life verses, it's just a popular one, kind of like the name Eric, you know, is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust, trust 
in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. That's a promise of God. And so when we're struggling with that doubt, we need to claim his promises. So first of all, we are to call upon God, then we are to claim his promises. Number three, number three, cling to past victories. How many Christians in here can say, God has been faithful to you? Give me an amen on that. Amen. God is faithful. So when you're dealing with a present problem, when you're having that doubt, you need to cling to those past victories. Well, I know I'm struggling in the finances here, but I remember a year ago this time, I was struggling in the same thing, and I trusted God then, he saw me through, and I'm gonna just cling to that victory, recognize that God is gonna see me through once again. And it's not a blind faith, but it is a trust in a supernatural God. Let, it, let the past. Let it serve as a reminder that God is always faithful. He is. And then lastly, number four, we're to call upon God, claim his promises, cling to past victories. And number four might seem a little weird. Cease from doubt. Stop it. Don't doubt. That's what the man did if we looked in Mark chapter number nine. Lord, I believe. But he says, Help my what? My unbelief. He says, I need to cease from this doubt. I can't let it reside in my heart. And the thing is, if we allow that doubt to kind of simmer and soak in there, it's going to churn around and it's going to foster more and more and more doubt. So in those moments of doubt, yes, we need to call upon God. Yes, we need to claim his promises. Yes, we cling to past victories, but we need to simply just not do it and ask God to help us to not uh, meditate upon that issue or that doubt we have and simply believe the Lord. Amen. It's what we need to do. But easier said than, than done. I, I hope it's okay, but Brother Fallon and I, one of the doubts I've had is you love the Lord, you love God's people, why you? I, I've had that doubt. So I pray for you, brother. It's like, I, some other people, I could see it. Amen. <laughs> but, and, and I could become consumed in, well, wait a minute, this is one of your choice servants and, and on, and you see how that goes, right? But I got to remember, well, no, 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 no. I'm not seeing the full picture. He is. I know God's good in all of it even though I can't fully understand that and comprehend it. And I need to anchor my heart back to these truths, recognizing that in all of this that you're going through, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. I know you love the Lord. And so I can recognize, I don't know how, but God is gonna work that together for good. To me, that's a real life example of how we struggle in those moments and we struggle in those doubts. I want to bring one more to light and I'll be done. Go to Matthew chapter number 14. Matthew chapter number 14. Here's another man. A man, in my mind, other than the Sermon on the Mount, preached the greatest sermon ever heard by the ears of men. Matthew chapter number 14. Uh, verses 13 down through verse 21, they record the feeding of the 5,000. 
What, a, what an amazing miracle. I mean, God takes two fish, which are like sardines. They, were, they weren't like salmon. They were two fish and five loaves. They were like five saltine crackers. They were not big. Remember, they were a little boy's lunch, right? Um, he took those and he multiplied it and he fed over 5,000 people, not including uh, the men and women. I'm going to pick up though in verse number 22. After this miracle took place, verse 22, it tells us there, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side. So did Jesus actually put them in the ship and say, hey guys, you need to go to the other side? Was that the will of Jesus Christ at that moment? Yeah. Did Jesus know a storm was brewing? Yes, he did. God a lot of times sends us through a storm to do something in our life. Verse 23. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up into the mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. Jesus walking on the water. And when the disciples, verse 26, saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, Oh, it's a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway, Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is high. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Let's stop here. That was an act of faith. None of the other disciples were like, hey, can I come too? Like, all right, Peter, you go ahead, right? I love, I heard a message one time preached. It was great. It was called, are you in the boat or on the water? The challenge was, at least Peter got out of the water while all the other guys were in the boat. I thought that was a pretty good message. But Peter says, hey, can I come, come out to you in verse number 28, uh, verse 29? And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw, and it was doubt here, he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, here it is, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? We know what happened later. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, after that upper room prayer meeting, <laughs> Acts chapter number two, Peter preached the pain off the walls and over 3,000 people were saved. Even in the life of Peter, he was a man of faith, but yet he was a man of doubt. So tonight, are you going to doubt Yes, all of us. At some point, we are going to doubt. But it is what we do with that doubt that defines our faith. It's what we do with that doubt that defines our legacy in following Jesus Christ. It's what you do with that doubt as a church here in Moses Lake that's gonna define you being a faithful church or not being a faithful church. It's that moments of doubt when you're hearing the bad news from the doctor or you get the pink slip and you get laid off. It's in those moments when you're doubting God. Are you good? God, are you there? God, do you care? It's in those moments that will define your walk with God. And may we learn from Peter. May we learn from uh, 
Moses. May we learn from Abraham. May we learn from Sarah. May we learn from John the Baptist tonight. Yes, we are going to have those doubts, but it's what we do with those doubts. And as we anchor our hearts to God and we anchor our hearts to the promise of God, and as we call upon him, we claim his promises, we cling, and we make ourselves just simply cease from that doubt. In that moment, we will be counted faithful. So, Moses Lake Bible Baptist Church. Don't doubt. Trust God. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.